With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. good boys and girls welcome to two for the podcast today is thursday the 9th of september and we're brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor liberty shield liberty shield is a vpn provider that's a virtual privacy network allows you to go online change your location access things like american netflix or ending your geoblock from while also keeping your data safe check out libertyshield.com and use the code eplvpn to get 20 percent off at checkout we're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And also, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops over on Etsy. Right, folks, it is Thursday. It's Questions Day. Now, I was going to do the rankings for the right-wingers, left-wingers and strikers, but I don't have time today. There's There's actually too many questions. I don't even think I'll get through them all. So if I don't get through them today, I'll figure out a way to get them done next week and I'll get those rankings to you. Maybe tomorrow and Tuesday or something, but we'll they're done. It's just a matter of time. Right, let's jump straight into the questions. Um, we'll start off with one that was sent by Stephen Smith, one of the writers on Anfield Index and EPLindex.com. And he has got, of players linked to Liverpool, which would which one of each choice would you have preferred at the time to come into this current team at their peaks? So he starts off by driving a nail through my heart with Saul or Bruno. Saul is the better is the better player. Saul is the better all round player who adds what Ginny Wijnaldum brought the team plus a lot more but Bruno would have added goals to the midfield and Bruno really would have been a perfect fit on the right hand side of the midfield three you could even allow him to play that that advanced role with Fabinho and Thiago behind him I think I would go Bruno I think I would go Bruno I love Saul and I absolutely I'm disgusted that Liverpool didn't sign him, but I think I would go Bruno. Uh, Diego Costa or Sergio Aguero? Now, there's no question that Aguero's the better player, but again, I think Costa's the better fit. Prime. Now, we're looking at these players at their peaks. Prime Diego Costa in that Firmino role would have been excellent, so I'll go him. 
Uh, Deli Ali or James Madison? For me, it's Deli. Better off the ball. Brilliant timing of runs. I think playing him behind Bobby, you would get really good interplay, really good switch. So I would go with Deli in that role. Timo Werner or Ferran Torres? Timo's the better player. But I really like Ferran Torres. I really like his movement. I like, he seems like a really intelligent player. It's tough though, because Timo off the, so the issue is Timo would play off the left, which is the Mane role, where you're looking for more of a creative force than what Timo is. Whereas Ferran Torres, I think, would just play off the right in the Salah role. He wouldn't be as good as Salah, but he could give an approximate replication of what he does. So I think I'd go Ferran Torres. Rafinha or David Silva? Again, I mean, David Silva's the better player, but I, I do think Rafinha is the one. I think he's absolutely perfect for Liverpool. Uh, James Justin or Esri Konza? James Justin. Esri Konza is excellent, but I don't think he's better than Van Dijk or Matip. I do think he's better than Joe Gomez. But a third centre-back, we and we have Kanate now, and Gomez is still very good. I think that's less of a need when you have Gomez and Kanate than a backup to Trent. And James Justin's very good in the ball. He's very intelligent. He's an excellent defender, and he can play both sides. And he can play centre-back. So he gives you that fifth centre-back anyway, while also been really good cover at both full-back spots. So James Justin is the pick there for me. Jaden Sancho or Kai Havertz? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think Kai Havertz could be a Firmino replacement. I think Sancho could have been a Mane replacement. I would go Kai Havertz. I think Bobby needs replacing more than more quickly than Mane. Jude Bellingham or Eduardo Camavinga? Eduardo Camavinga. He's a better player. He's got more potential. And he's a better fit right now in, into Liverpool's team and what Liverpool need. David Alaba or Manuel Locatelli? I love Locatelli. But I think I'd go Alaba because he could start on the left-hand side of the midfield three in that Wijnaldum position. He can also be a backup centre-back and a backup left-back. I, I think you go Alaba. Um, Kylian Mbappe or Erling Haaland? I think Mbappe is the better player. But I love Haaland. I, I love that old, that old school battering ram type centre forward. And obviously he's a lot more than that. But if you remember Christian Vieri, I loved Christian Vieri. I loved Adriano. And he's, he is the next Adriano. That's what he is. He's the, the modern day Adriano. He's Adriano mixed with Thor, basically. Um, I think I'd go Haaland. I know he doesn't really fit how Liverpool play. I think he just changed the shape. You go 4-4-2, you play him and Salah up front. You play Mane off the left wing and Harvey Elliott off the right wing. I don't really mind. Um, but yeah, I think i go. I think I go Erling Haaland. I like that one. Um, that was good, Stephen. Thank you very much. That was a... I, I didn't appreciate, obviously, the first one. Didn't appreciate that at all, but it is what it is. 
Uh, right, question from Nigerian Cop. Thoughts on Ralph Hasenhutl as a manager, his ceiling, and how would he fit at a club like Arsenal or Liverpool post-Klopp? I don't think he's a Klopp-level manager, but I do think he could take over Arsenal and take them into the Champions League. It would take him a couple of years because there's still a lot of work to be done. Like They need a, they need a goalkeeper. They need to develop that defence and figure out what Ben White is. They need a holding midfielder. Um, when you look at how he plays to that box midfield, Tamiyasu and Tierney as the full-backs is fine. He does like a ball player at the back, so Ben White is fine. Gabriel then is the main defensive centre-back. He wants two in midfield. They've got Tomas Partey. They need someone to go with Tomas. Um, Odegaard and Smith-Rowe as the two number 10s who play in to out. So they start off in central positions and then drop out as wingers when Arsenal lose the ball. I think that's perfect. I think he'd play Saka as half of the front two. Probably with Aubameyang. So Saka can drop off, Aubameyang can play in behind. I think that's actually really good. I think Lacazette would fit well into how he plays. I think he'd like Enketia as an op- as a bench option and Balogun as a bench option. Movement, goal-scoring instincts. I think he'd love a player like Maitland-Niles who can play everywhere. I think Ralph Hasenhutl, with a, with a year to, t- to mould the team together, the hope that Aubameyang can recapture his best form. Now, that might be a stretch. So you might you might be looking for someone up front. Um, but a really good holding midfielder is what they need. If they could find that, and I'm talking an Ndidi level, a Rice level, a Calvin Phillips. Calvin Phillips would actually be perfect. Play Calvin Phillips next to Tomas Partey. Let Tomas go and, and bomb forward. I think that would work really well. I think he'd get them top four. I don't think he's I don't think he could replace Klopp because the level Liverpool are at, I think, is a level above where Ralph is capable of. But I could be wrong. Uh that's just my feeling on it now. Uh he also asks Brendan Rogers seems to be loaded for his positive influence on attacking talent. Would it be far-fetched to say that his influence on defenders is the exact opposite? No, it wouldn't be far-fetched at all. I think it would be very accurate, to be honest. I think Brendan... I think he improves players as footballers, which is why it works for him to improve attackers. I just don't think he improves defenders as defenders. I don't think that's something that Brendan shows a real interest in doing. I think when Brendan, Brendan gets every player, he wants to improve him as a footballer. And one of the things he's done with... Kagler Sionchu is the most obvious candidate here for this. If you look at Kagler Sionchu's all-round game, there's no question at all he's a better passer of the ball now than he was prior to Rodgers arriving and in Rodgers' first season. There's no question he's a more... He plays a higher line than he used to. And that's all to do with pressing, controlling space, dictating where the game is played. And the issue with that is it's not playing to the strengths of the defender. And that's why we've seen a dip in Sionchu's form, because he's been asked to do too much on the ball 
and he's also been asked to defend bigger spaces that, than what he's comfortable with. So for me, I do think Brendan has a negative effect on defenders. I, I look at the guys that played under him at Liverpool, and every one of them regressed defensively. Every single one of them. It's not one defender played under him at Liverpool that was better when he left than they were when he arrived, or when they arrived. Not one. So, that's a concern. That's something that's going to hold him back. Um, we have a question from uh, Kieran Reed at Kieran Reed, Kieran underscore Reed ninety nine. Can you make an eleven of the best non-British or Irish players to have ever played for Liverpool? Um, Alisson in goal. Marcus Babel at right back. Risa or Aurelio at left back. Risa was better for Liverpool. It would be unfair to say otherwise. So Risa at left back. Virgil and Sammy as the centre backs, even though I would have not have the cap to Danny Agger, who I love. Um, three man midfields. Alonso sitting. Fabinho and Mascherano just going and causing absolute havoc. And then Salah, Torres and Suarez up front. I think that's about it. Salah, Torres, Suarez. I can't see any debate on that, really. Because the other great strikers in the club's history were all British. Or Irish in the case of John Aldridge, though he was born in England. Um, Torres is the best nine we've had the best non-Suarez nine we've had who wasn't British or Irish Suarez is the best player we've had so he goes I, I put him on the left which is his old Ajax position give him more freedom I mean I don't think anyone would argue Mane over Suarez that would be a ridiculous argument as good as Mane's been and there's no argument over Salah uh, the midfield. I mean, Jan Molby's definitely worth consideration here. But I think I have to go Alonso. I don't think there's any debate over Mascherano or Fabinho. Maybe you might like to have Jan in over one of those two, but I think you, you don't have any... You don't have any real mobility then. Now, there's a, a real argument. If you're looking at the best players that Thiago would be included over maybe Fabinho, but not for Liverpool. Thiago hasn't been better for Liverpool than Fabinho, but he has had a better career than Fabinho. But I think I'd go Fabinho, Fabinho, Xabi and, and Mash would be the midfield. And yeah, I like that defence as well. I think Marcus Babel might be the best right back we've ever had. It's just unfortunately he got, he got ill. Uh, Virgil and Sammy, I don't see any way around them. Um, and that's me with me being the biggest Danny Agger fan you'll find. And I think Johnny Reese is a, a nailed on choice at left back with Allison in goal. So yeah, I will I will go with that. Uh, on to the Discord, AMK2889. Who are the greatest players never to play in a World Cup because they weren't picked in the final squad and because their respective nation just never qualified? Um George Weah, I think. George Best is the best player not to play in a World Cup. Um, of modern era, George Weah. Now, 
I think you can make Ian Rush obviously would be well worth consideration. I think Ian Rush was an outstanding player. Incredible goal scorer, and obviously Wales just weren't very good. Um Ryan Giggs, surely worth worth a mention as well. I think if you're looking at it from a Liverpool point of view, as as we, we I tend to do uh when it comes to questions day. Yeah, I think Ian Rush would be the one, wouldn't he? I don't think you could really make much of an argument for anyone else. Let's just have a quick look. Um, do you know who... Do you know, actually, I'm sorry, it's not Ian Rush for Liverpool. It's Alan Hansen. It's Alan Hansen, for sure. He was left out of the 86 squad, if you remember, by Alex Ferguson, who took over after Jock Steen passed away. So I do think it's it's got to be him. So he he's the one who was left out of the squad. Um even though he was brilliant, like he was the he was arguably the best defender in Europe at the time. Guys mentioned Eric Cantona. I think that's a good shout as well. Um, he was part of the French squad in 94 that didn't qualify. Um, for Alan Hansen to only have 26 caps for Scotland is an absolute disgrace. Alan Hansen is by far the best defender Scotland has ever produced. By far. He is top three British defenders ever. For him to not have more than that is an absolute joke. But Alan Hansen's the answer in terms of players whose teams qualified and they were left out. And I think George Weah or George Best for teams that didn't qualify. Um... Sam McGuire, <laughs> would you rather have your favourite meal once a week for the rest of your life or only be able to have it once a year? My question is a lot more complex than people realise. Yeah, because I do think you get sick of it and it stops being your favourite meal and it just becomes something you have every week. So I do think you're probably better off only having it once a year if that's the case. Um, I do think eventually you just get sick of having the same thing Week in, week out. So, yeah, I think that's fine. Uh, Ohms, thoughts on the Brazilian FA request to FIFA? And could this be the start of an almighty club versus country war? It absolutely could, because you've got two more international breaks to come before Christmas. And I don't think the COVID situation is going to improve a whole lot between now and then. So, realistically, we're going to see the same thing happen in October, the same thing happen in November. I, I just think... I think the Brazilian FA really need to get their heads out of their backsides and realise that you can't have it all your own way. You've got to understand that the clubs pay the wages of these players. The clubs paid enormous amounts of money for these players. And the clubs don't want to risk these players getting sick or bringing back 
the virus and giving it to the team and potentially wiping out three or four other players. Um, so, no, I, I don't think uh, it's in any way correct for the the Premier League or the Brazilian FA to be complaining about this. Um, right, next one. TK Saki ranked the goalkeepers in this article. This is from the Athletics goalkeeper uh, ratings the other day. So I already did this. You mustn't have been listening. Shame on you. Um, ranking the 20 goalkeepers in the league. Allison, Emmy Martinez, Eduardo Mendy, Ederson, Nick Pope, David De Gea, Casper Schmeichel, Hugo Lloris, Alphonse Ariola, Bernard Leno, Martin Dubravka, Jordan Pickford, Ilan Melier, Vincente Guaita, Alex McCarthy, Tim Krul, Roberto Sanchez, David Rea, David Bachman, and Jose Sa. But Jose Sa is only in the list because I only picked one goalkeeper from each club. If I was allowed to pick two goalkeepers from each club, he might be 40th. Um, he'd be ahead of John. Well, he might not even be ahead of John Ruddy, so there's that. Um, what's your top five teenagers... This is from Mamba888. What's your top five teenagers since you've been watching football? Not potential, but the actual level when they hadn't yet reached 20. Uh, Michael Owen, the real Ronaldo. This is not in order. The real Ronaldo is one. uh, And after that, there's a kind of a gap. But him, Owen, Rooney, Messi. And I'm inclined to say Matthias Delict, even though he hasn't quite developed properly in the last year or two. When he was 17, 18, like you have to understand, this guy was absolutely top class at, at 18. He was phenomenal. He was a top 10 centre back in the world the year he was 18. That's how good he was. So complete, natural leader. Could do everything. Could carry the ball. Great shot in him. Good passer. Really good defender. Dominant in the air. Read the game well. Talked to us through the game. I, I think Matthias Delict has to go in. Messi and Ron, uh, the real Ronaldo, they go on a different pedestal to everybody else, obviously because of you know what they became. But 19-year-old Ronaldo was terrifying. Like an absolutely terrifying player to watch. So I think I'd go him one, Messi two. Owen three, Rooney four, Delict five. And people forget how good Michael Owen was as a teenager. Michael Owen was sensational. I would have had teenage Owen over teenage Rooney for sure. Um, Matt Ordish, should we break our transfer record to for Jude Bellingham and how he potentially fits in our club system? I would, but I'm not the one obviously making the decisions because, you know, I'd have bought players this past summer. Um, I think Jude Bellingham, he ticks every box. You're looking at a player with very high technical level. Like really good touch, control, passer. Great shot. When you watch him shoot, it's a flawless technique. It does, there's no awkward hitch or anything the way you see with certain players. He doesn't need to like get the ball well out of his feet. He, he can just let the ball fly. 
you watch him pass the ball and it's all very natural. You see certain players and they have to be facing a certain way to pass the ball. They can only really pass the ball where they see in front of them. Um, Jude Bellingham can put the ball anywhere, any angle, any part of his foot. You look at that drive with the ball. That's something that we don't have in Klopp's team. Is someone in midfield to pick the ball up and just drive at players. And Bellingham has that. That's something Gerrard had. Now, I'm not going to compare Bellingham to Gerrard. He's not the same type of player. But there are aspects in his game that are similar. That athleticism, that power, that ability to just turn on another level of pace and drive past people. And that ability to pick the ball up and just run at people. Slalom through. That's something young Gerard had. I would do it. And I think I think Bellingham on the right-hand side of Liverpool's midfield with Trent at right back and Salah at right wing, that's a phenomenal proposition. Now, what I would say is if you do that, because Jude is very good defensively as well, I think you switch the midfield roles. And rather than having the right-sided role be the attacking one, Make the left-sided one the attacking one. Let Jude sit that bit deeper in midfield with Fab and become more of a box-to-box midfield player the way Ginny Wijnaldum was. Whereas with the right-sided role now, especially when like when Henderson plays, he plays it quite advanced, kind of ignores his defensive work, but it, that's what it is. Ginny, or not Ginny, um, uh, Ox... Harvey Curtis, when they play it, they play it as almost an attacking midfielder. I think you could do that in that left-sided role if you had Bellingham on the right. You've got Robbo, who's a better defensive fullback than Trent. You've got Virgil, who's the better centre-back. So you can afford for that left-sided midfielder to be the more attacking one if you've got a Jude Bellingham on the right side. So yeah, I would say bring in Jude Bellingham, even if it's 85 million. Play him, play him on the right of the midfield three. And if you're really serious about Harvey Elliott playing as a number eight, I think that left-sided role in the midfield three would be a really good fit. Now, the player I would actually want for that role is, is Dwight McNeil. I think Dwight McNeil as a left-sided eight in the Liverpool team could be phenomenal. I've talked about this with Sam Maguire. You look at everything he does, you look at his defensive profile, you look at his passing ability, his ability to switch the play, the creativity he could bring to the role, his ability to naturally drift wide and overlap the winger. The fact that he could drop in and play left back when Robbo goes forward. I think Bellingham, Fabinho, McNeil would be phenomenal. Incredible athleticism. Dynamic bursts of pace from McNeil and and Bellingham. Legs everywhere, so ball-winning ability everywhere. Very difficult to get through passing lanes. You know he's going to be well-schooled under Sean Dyche. Bellingham, Fabinho, McNeil is my current. Because, because my soul dream was ripped away from me, Dwight McNeil is the new infatuation on that left side. Um, Sam Maguire again if you could change one signing of the Klopp era who would it be and why 
Um, Loris Karius, maybe I would have signed Timo Horn, who was the other keeper we were linked with at the time. Um, now, Timo Horn hasn't done very well the last couple of years, but maybe he wouldn't have made... Uh, maybe he wouldn't have made the big errors that Karius made in Kiev. Um, yeah, I think that's where I'd go. Laurie's Karius would be the one. Uh, Accra, what is truly the best league in Europe at the moment? Who will win the Champions League this year? I think PSG will win the Champions League this year. I do think the Premier League is the best league in Europe at the moment. I think we've just seen Serie A lose its best manager. It's best striker in Lukaku. I think that's a concern. And it's best defender in Romero. Um, so I think that's that's going to knock it back. And it wasn't quite there yet. Um, La Liga lost Messi. That's, that's a blow. Bundesliga wasn't quite there. French League not there. It's got to be the Premier League for me. Um, Hardeep Bambra. How important is it we foster a good loan relationships with clubs like Blackburn to loan out our most promising youngsters? Uh, very, very important. Very, very important because you want to make sure that you're loaning clubs, loaning players to clubs with coaches who are very good at developing young players, who have a track record of that. And someone like a Tony Mowbray has a track record. A, a Steve Cooper at... Swansea, he's gone now, obviously, but wherever he lands next, if it's a non-Premier League club, that'll be a club to keep an eye on for us to loan. I also think we should look more into loaning players abroad. I think they can learn a lot if they go to the French League or the German League. So I think they can develop more playing in a top-level environment than even playing in the Championship. Though, I do think the Championship's very, very good for um, for the toughness. So yeah, I think that's fine. Um, I think it is important. Right, we're going to take a break. And when I come back, uh, we will get through the rest of these questions. There's still quite a lot of them. So I'm hopeful that I can get through them all. But if not, I'll apologize in advance. I'll see you in a few. Right, welcome back. So we're going through questions. We have loads of them this week. So again, I once again apologize if I don't get through them all. Uh, Willology, in an alternate world in which the Super League had gone ahead, which teams would have made up positions one to five in the league? Um, I will say PS. No, I'll, PSG weren't in it, were they? No, they weren't. Hmm. See, if the Super League had gone ahead, I think Barca keep Messi. But I still don't think they finish first or second. I think City first, us second, Chelsea third, Barca with Messi fourth, and Juventus fifth, at a guess. But obviously, we it, there's a lot of variables in what might have happened. If the Super League got ahead, would Juventus have kept Cristiano? If so, I like them less, etc., etc. Um, Pine Paradox if Mourinho would have taken over instead of Rafa who would he have signed at the time I think he would have insisted on Carvalho uh, I think that was a package deal that Carvalho was coming with him regardless so he would have ended up with Carvalho 
and Sammy as a centre-back pairing, and Jamie Carragher probably stays right back. Don't think he would have liked Dudek. I think he would have wanted a bigger, more commanding goalkeeper. Obviously, Petr Cech had already agreed to join Chelsea before Jose, so I think he would have looked for a goalkeeper. He definitely would have liked to upgrade left-back. But I think the two first things he would have done are Carvalho and a number nine. A physical number nine. I think he would have kept Owen. I think he would have convinced Owen to stay. He would have put more into that. I think he would have looked to bring in a more physical number nine. Probably played at midfield three. A three and a one like he did at Porto behind the front two. So you go Owen, and I don't know if we could have afforded Drogba. I know we had Gibral Cisse coming in that summer. Anyway, that was already done. So maybe he would have just gone with him. Cisse and Owen. Maybe Kuehl as the 10. Gerrard. Haman. So one more in midfield. Maybe Manish from, from Porto, who he loved. Maybe Manish and Carvalho, along with the impending arrival of Gibral Cisse. That'd be that'd be a guess, and maybe a left-back as well, and a goalkeeper. But I don't think he would have done all four at once, but maybe over the first two summers. Um, Hardeep Bamber, what is the most surprising tactical change you've seen from a Premier League side this season? Um... Do, do. Let's see. I think Bielsa going with the back three in two of the first three games has been quite interesting. I don't think it's quite worked for them. I don't know whether that's down to the fact that Burnley and Everton were playing with two up front and he likes to have an extra man there. But that's certainly one that comes to mind. I think Arteta just kind of throwing away everything that he started to build at times last season is um is an interesting subplot. I don't think there's been any massive changes that kind of stand out to me. Norwich is an interesting one because obviously they lost Buendia and they've changed their shape and how they play. But that was kind of to be expected once they lost Emmy Buendia and didn't bring in a pure playmaker type to replace him. So maybe Norwich, though it was kind of to be expected. Um, Ali, with FIFA attempting to establish a World Cup every two years and UEFA giving regulatory control to the oil states, do you think public perception will swing in favour of the Super League, especially now that UEFA and FIFA are so open with the corruption? They've been open with the corruption for decades and people just have ignored it because people don't want to look at the big picture the only reason people got so upset about the Super League is because the likes of Gary Neville lied to them about what it was. Because it was kind of sprung, rather than it being rolled out. I th- I don't think they planned to kind of announce it until the summer. I think they would have had a far better presentation, a far better dialogue about what would have happened in the summer. The issue is it, it broke and then they kind of it leaked and then they rushed the announcement. And the first thing people heard was Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher, and a bunch of other idiots who had no interest in what's best for fans or what's best for football. 
only in what's best for their pockets, shouting and bowling about it. I do think the Super League will swing back around in a, in a few years. And I do think there'll be people who are more open to it when they actually... If you go and look into what the Super League was going to be, I think there's far more good than bad about it. I don't like the closed shop nature of it, but football's already a closed shop. So that is what it is. Um, Mr. Ecker, Liverpool is heading towards a huge rebuild for the next couple of seasons. Let's say we do it in two seasons. What should be our budget for each and how many players do we need? Um... If we if we take Kelleher as being fine as a backup, you need a third choice keeper. But I would prefer a second choice keeper, but it is what it is. You can get one of them for free, though, a third choice keeper. You get a quota keeper for free, a John Ruddy or somebody like that. Uh, United got Tom Heaton this summer. He's, he's a good goalkeeper. So you can find good English goalkeepers for free. There's loads of them hanging around. Uh, you need a backup for Trent. That's obvious. I think you'd want to be looking at bringing in another centre-back on top of what's already there. You have your left-back situation solid. Fab is solid, but I would want a long-term successor to him. Even if it's someone who is 17, 18, and you're bringing them in, and they're not going to even be second choice for the next couple of years. They're third choice behind Fab and Henderson. And you're, just going, to, you're going to cultivate them and bring them along slowly. Absolutely there. You definitely need one starter in midfield. There's no doubt about that. That's going to be pricey because the names out there are the likes of Bellingham and that's going to be real expensive. Um, I would like a starter on the other side as well. For They were talking about a rebuild. So we're talking about someone that can come in and not be a starter straight away, but in long term. Uh, I mentioned Dwight McNeil earlier on. He's the type I'd be looking at. I think 35, 40 million gets him. He can be cover on both wings and then eventually just you develop him in that midfield role, similar to what we did with Ox, but with a better outcome. Um... You need to replace Sadio. You need to replace Bobby. I think you sell Sadio. You keep Bobby as the fifth forward with Jota as the fourth. You've got two starters. Now, I would like to see a change of shape, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so two starting forwards. I think you're looking probably somewhere in the region of 120 million combined. Another 80 for Bellingham. Another 35, 40 for McNeil. Uh, back up right back. I think you can get a good one for 10 million. So what are we looking at? 250 million? See, that's that's why I don't think it's going to happen over two years. I think it could happen over maybe three years. So next summer, let's say you go in and you buy the backup to Trent, you buy Dwight McNeil and you buy one Ford player. And the following summer, and you, and you roll with Sadio. Maybe you just keep hold of Sadio. You just roll with Sadio and Jota rotating. Get that Ford in. The following summer, you bring in Bellingham. That's kind of your move for that summer. Uh, maybe add that that goalkeeper or something that year on a free. And then maybe that third year, then you bring in your other striker, your bigger money striker, um, of ideally a Chiesa or somebody like that. But I do think you'd have to roll it over three years. The issue is Liverpool only have a couple of players who've got real value in the market, one being Sadio, who I don't really think we can afford to sell unless... The owners are putting in money. Uh, another is Ox, but what would you get? 20 million. Naby, if he can revitalize himself, maybe you get 35, 40 for him because he has the talent and he has the reputation. But I, I do think it'll be a three year build. I think you're probably looking about realistically to bring in a Bellingham, let's just say a Chiesa, and let's say 
I mean, I would have loved Matthias Cunha this summer. Um, let's let's say Rafinha. So let's say it's Rafinha on the right, Mo on the left. Sorry, Mo through the middle, and Chiesa off the left. Plus Bellingham. The McNeil thing, maybe you park that. Maybe you don't buy that extra midfielder. Maybe you just keep hold of Thiago and Naby and go with that, and and you're happy enough. Um, so you're probably looking 210 million then. Again, I, I still think that's a three summer rebuild. I think you're looking, say you bring in Rafinha and the right back next summer, Bellingham the following summer, and Chiesa the following summer. I think that's about how you would do it. And maybe you can pick up pieces around the edges, bring it, find another Kate Gordon, Harvey Elliott, young, young Clark, that type. Uh, for the long term but yeah I, I do think it's a three year thing and you're looking over 200 million I don't think it's a huge rebuild I will say that I don't think it's a huge rebuild but you know because Kanate's already there if if Matip isn't a starter maybe he's more durable Gomez is the one I'm a little bit concerned about I still look to bring in that fifth centre back because I, I just think you need five um Carl Matchett, what is the average fl flight speed of an unladen swallow? I have no idea. Let's have a look. Flight speed of a of an unladen swallow. Um, twenty four miles per hour. That's a fair clip when you're that small. Fair play. Um, yeah, you've educated me now on that, Carl. So thank you very much. Um. Fact 1977, the owner group for one of the clubs outside the Big Six helped Conte's family out way back, and so he agrees to manage their team for this season. Who gets sacked, and what is the ceiling for the Godfather's squad? Maybe cup, pick a couple of teams, a thought experiment. Okay, let's have a look. Uh, Premier League table. Right, let's see. Okay, so the first name that pops up, when you look at the league table, obviously, who's not a big six club is West Ham. So I don't see that Gold and Sullivan would have helped his family out because they don't help anybody out. But a back three for them would probably be something in the region of Diop, Zuma, Ogbonna, Sufal, and Cresswell as wingbacks, Ariola in goal, Rice and Suchek in the centre midfield. With Fornals, and then I think he goes Vlasic off Antonio. I think I think fifth is probably the ceiling for that team, even with Conte. The next team would be Everton, so he would obviously send Jordan Pickford off to get arm extensions, but he'd go with Pickford. As the back three, I think he goes Mina in the central role, Holgate and Godfrey either side. Dini is the perfect left back. I think he'd play a Wobie. Excuse me, I've just hit my microphone. I think he'd play a Wobie as the right wing back. In central midfield, you go Alan, you go Decoure. And I'm not sure who the third midfielder would be. Maybe he plays Andre Gomes to get a little bit of guile in there. Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin up front. I like the defence. I like the attack. I like parts of the midfield. 
I still think they're fifth with what they have. Uh, next is Brighton. Veltman, Dunk, Webster, Lamptey. Lamptey, Cucurella, Basuma, Mwepu, and Motor as a midfield three. Just legs for days. And then up front, I think he probably goes Mope and probably Trissard. Um, that's probably eighth, maybe. Lack of goals will be the will be the fall down and the Joel Veltman thing. Uh, Leicester, Leicester could be perfect for him. James Justin, Fafa, no, let's see, Fafana, Evans, Sionchu, Justin as a left wing back, Pereira as a right wing back, Telemans. Ndidi and Madison as a midfield three. Barnes and Vardy up front. I think they stroll into the top four under Conte. Stroll into it. The only thing that's not ideal is maybe the lack of a target man striker. He does like that physical presence up front. But I think I think he I think he'd turn Harvey Barnes into an absolute monster playing off a striker. Um, Villa I, I'm going to skip Brentford because they already play that kind of shape and I I think he'd keep them up but I don't know that he could do much more uh, Villa Cash and Target as wing backs Martinez in goal obviously I think he plays Mings as the middle centre back to kind of hide the defensive liability that he is Tunzebi, who they have on loan, and Konza as the flanking centre-backs. Douglas Louise, John McGinn, and Morgan Sanson as a three. Oh, no, they've got Emmy Buendia. So, Buendia, McGinn. Buendia, Louise, and McGinn. Watkins and Ings up front. God, I wish they'd bought Tammy Abraham. They bought Tammy because Tammy and Watkins, I think, would be lethal as a two. Uh, if they got Tammy, I think he could get them fifth, maybe, maybe. With Ings, see Ings and the Mings tax. I think you're looking at seventh, sixth to seventh, I guess. Which of those teams' owners would be the most likely to do him a favor? I don't think West Ham, potentially Everton. Unlikely Brighton, unlikely Leicester, potentially Villa. Hmm, interesting. Anyway, uh, moving on. Um, what is the op? So this is Sean Gadu. What is the optimal amount of salt to apply to fish and chips? So you want a good a good covering of salt, but what what's key here is the vinegar. You want to drown the bastards. So drown it in vinegar. Good covering of salt. Drown it in vinegar. Game done. Um, Liam M. If a tree falls in a forest and there's no one around to hear it, does it make a sound? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. But I would guess probably because like it's a tree and it's huge. So probably. 
Uh, AMK, I, I did that one this day, one about the World Cup. Um, so there's two questions here that are similar. Nick Sum, who would you choose to replace Michael Edwards and why? And someone, oh yeah, Venido asks, a list of director of football, directors of football to replace Edwards, perhaps keeping in mind the obvious financial constraints. So because I'm a nerd, I've actually been doing this anyway. So I've got a list of a, of a few that I think could be great. Monchi is the obvious one. You see what he's done at Sevilla, the success he's brought to that club, and he operates them on a strict budget. Luis Campos built the team at Monaco that toppled PSG, built the team at Lille that toppled PSG. I think he has to be there. Andrea Berta would be an interesting one. He's the director of football at Atletico Madrid. Now, I do think he's had some missteps in recent years. But I do th- still think he's very good. And it's got to be tough buying for a manager like Simeone who likes very specific things. Um, looking at the Premier League, I've got two candidates. One is Victor Orta, who I think has done a really good job at Leeds. And the other is Stuart Weber of Norwich. Stuart Weber is 37 years of age. And he is absolutely outstanding at what he does. He's been a director of football now for six years. Two at Huddersfield. He built the team that got promoted on really no budget. And he's been four years now at Norwich, where he's gotten them promoted twice, again, with very little money to spend. So I think he's outstanding. He also, remember, worked for Liverpool for three years and was heavily involved in spotting, evaluating and signing Luis Suarez as director of recruitment. So I think Stuart Webber... If we wanted someone to walk in and just be kind of a seamless transition, I think Weber would be the one. Um, Otherwise, if we wanted someone to come in and sort of not overhaul, but put more of an imprint on, I think Monchi or Luis Campos would be the two to look at. And I do think Luis Campos would be the one to go for. Because Monchi, as brilliant as he is, didn't go very well in Rome, with Roma rather. So I wonder if maybe... He just likes that comfort of Seville. So I'd say Luis Campos or Stuart Weber would be my top two uh, choices for that. Um, Chris Colby was going to save this one for an old school with gags, but here it goes. You get to schedule a dreams schedule of guests for your pods. Who do you select one for each pod? So Monday, a current Liverpool player. Um. So obviously you want someone that's going to be interesting to talk to. Someone's going to be a bit of a, bit of a laugh as well. I think I'd go Andy Robertson. Um, to a former Liverpool player. Tuesday, a former Liverpool player. Danny Agger, because I think he's a really interesting human being. Uh, Wednesday, an active player. So I assume not a Liverpool player. So an active player. Um... That's a good one, actually. <clears throat> I do think you want someone who's, again, going to be, got a bit of a personality. Can I have Zlatan? If I can have Zlatan, I'll take Zlatan. I think he's, I think he'd be fascinating to talk to. Um, Thursday, re- retired player. Retired player. Paul McGrath. 
Um, Friday, any current or former athlete? Hmm. Current or former athlete? I think Carl Lewis. I think Carl Lewis would be the one I'd go for. I always find him just quite an interesting character. Uh, Saturday then, any sports media personality doesn't have to be football. Um, George Hook. George Hook could be interesting. He's quite controversial. We definitely disagree in a lot of things. So George Hook. And Sunday, anyone who isn't sports specific. Uh, Leo Varadkar. So I could berate him endlessly for about three hours would be about right. So Robbo, Agar, Zlatan. I can't remember who I said for retired player now. I Paul can't McGrath. remember who. Paul McGrath, sorry, yeah, Paul McGrath. Um, Carl Lewis, George Hook, and Leo Varadkar. Yeah, it it goes downhill on the last day, obviously. Um, Callum Perry, predict where the Premier League title will go over the next five years. Chelsea, City, City, Chelsea, City. Unless Liverpool... Now, that's based on what the teams are now. If Liverpool go out in the summer and next summer and do something very impressive, they can absolutely win it. But I do think those three teams, Chelsea, City and Liverpool, are the three teams that will compete for the league for the next five years. United can get there. They've got a very clear path to getting there. Change the manager, sort your midfield out, and maybe fix the goalkeeping position, but... For now, I just don't see them having an opportunity to win the league. Um, Dell, if you could, if you could alter one thing from our past to be in a far sit better situation, what would it be and why? Not including Heisler Hillsborough in this question. That's yeah, that's fair. Um, I wouldn't have appointed Graham Souness. to be honest, but. What I would actually do, and this won't be popular with Liverpool fans, I would have appointed Alex Ferguson in 1986 instead of Kenny. I would have appointed Ferguson, I think. Yeah, I think I'd appoint. I'd have appointed Ferguson. Being honest, um, are there any current free agents you think are worth taking a chance on? This is from Tim Hines. And on that note, who would you rather have, Origi or Sturridge, as an attacking player off the bench? I would rather have Daniel Sturridge as an attacking player off the bench uh, than than Divock Origi. That that one for me is actually not even close. Um, I, I would take Sturridge every time. As for uh, current free agents who could potentially help. Um, I mean, Serge Aurier is, is the most valuable player out there right now who's a free agent, but 
I just don't think that Jurgen Klopp would want anything to do with him. Um, I mean, just as an attacking option, he's he's thirty four, but Sebastian Giovinco could be could be interesting just to bring in for a depth attacker. Um. But Sturridge is probably Nabil Bentaleb as a central midfielder. Now he's he's a nightmare to deal with apparently, but Nabil Bentaleb just as an extra defensive body in midfield would be worth consideration. Matthew Masaccio certainly a better fifth centre back than Nat Phillips, but Sturridge is probably the one. Sturridge is probably the best out there. I don't see anybody else as good as Sturridge. Yeah, I'll go Sturridge. Um, I do think that is the right answer. Um, Slim PJ, which Tato is better, Northern or Southern? What kind of question is this? It's Southern. Real Tato. Not them things they produce up north that are an abomination and a disgrace on the name and the reputation. Southern Tato are the only Tato. Not them things from the north. Um, Adam Hanlon, if your Stephen Kenny in Ireland did qualify for the World Cup, what would be your squad for the tournament? And your, I don't know is the honest answer to that. I genuinely don't. I'd need to take quite a bit of time to do that. Um, but I, w- I will come back to that at, at a later date. Uh, what Irish kid do you think has the biggest future? Um, Troy Parrott might have the most talent, but I think Jason Knight has the biggest future because I think he has the drive to, to make it so. I, I think I'd go for Jason Knight. Um, as a man who's got a lot of podcast, got to do a lot of podcasts to keep us entertained, what podcasting's what podcasting? What podcast do you listen to for your entertainment? So I, I no longer listen to football podcasts, other than some of the stuff off AI. I, I just, I just don't. I, I, my head's too full of football, so I, I just can't. And I find myself disagreeing with too much stuff, so I've just stopped. Um, I listen to mostly NBA and NFL podcasts. I will listen to Colin Cowherd. And I will listen to Bill Simmons. Uh, but Zach Lowe's Low Post is one I never miss. The College Football Bros is one I never miss. Because I love I love college football more than NFL. NFL, I find it, it's a little bit too clits and glam. I, I like college football. Um, the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst. I do like that one. So, yeah, that's... That's basically it. Oh, and the mismatch with Kevin O'Connor um, on the ringer. I, I do like that. Chris Vernon, I do like that one. So mostly basketball uh, and kind of football, po- American football podcasts. I tend not to listen to a lot of um, football podcasts anymore. Um, Alms, who hypothetically Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips are available in the summer, both for the same price. Who are you choosing to add to our midfield? Who is the higher ceiling? This is, of course, if Bellingham Bellingham isn't attainable. I take Calvin Phillips every single time over Declan Rice. I think he's a better player now. I think he's got more to his game. I think he's more versatile. 
Phillips can play two positions in our midfield. Rice can play one. And I think Phillips is probably a better option than any of our current left-sided options, unless Naby Keita finally unlocks the whole package. So I, I would go Calvin Phillips all day, every day. Um, Adam Hanlon, would you play Gomez and Canate versus Milan or maybe Palace? How do you keep four centre-backs happy? I would play one against Palace, both in the League Cup, and the other one against Brentford. Uh, Isaac Gilding, Camavinga's just gone to Real Madrid, and there's a lot of talk of Bellingham to Liverpool, but I'm struggling to see Dortmund selling anytime soon. Who are some realistic and also promising young midfield talents you'd like to see Liverpool in the next two to three years? Dwight McNeil. Dwight McNeil. He is, he is one I think would be a phenomenal signing. Might not excite everybody, but I, I, I love him. I think he's absolutely tremendous. Um, Dwight McNeil is the one I go for. Um, James, just listen to Wednesday's podcast, and I'd be curious to hear where you'd place Gomez and Kanate in the Liverpool CB list, considering you didn't include them. Uh, I didn't include them purely because I didn't want to be accused of bias, but they're both in the top 20. Uh, there's no question for me. So uh, let me pull my list up here. I would probably put Joe Gomez, Van Dijk, Romero, Varane, Laporte, Diaz, Sonchu, Matip, Maguire, Conza, Gomez. I would probably put him 10th. And I would probably put Kanate right now. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10. 16th, 17th if we include Gomez. And that's based on Gomez being pre-injury Gomez. So, yeah, I would have them both in the top 20. I just didn't want to include. I know I included three City players, but I think they're of a higher standing, shall we say. I think Gomez, I think that uh, they're both better than John Stones, personally. But that's that's what I'd do. Uh, that's it. So the podcast is late today, but it is because there were so many questions and I wanted to get through them all. We also had to pause midway through. So you might notice a little bit of a jolt because uh, I had to go record something else. Um, so thank you, as always. Thank you to Guy Drinkle for his patience today because I'm guessing this one's not going to be a whole lot of fun to put together. Uh, but uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.